Welcome back to Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode was with my new friend, Dr. Will Cole. Will is one of the top functional medicine and integrative doctors in the nation. Probably, I mean, I would say definitely the world. Um, he is the host of the Goop Fellas podcast, along with another friend, Seamus Mullen. And uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he's functional medicine guru extraordinaire, and we get into a wide variety of topics around nutritionin, around, it's kind of say nutrition with an extra word, nutritionin, um, nutrition, and uh, monogamy, and all sorts of interesting stuff. Uh, really fascinating conversation. I think you guys are going to get a lot from it, and appreciate you tuning in. Uh, thanks for checking out the website, alignpodcast.com, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com. Start the five-day movement challenge, get your body moving right. People have been digging that, and I appreciate y'all's feedback on that thing. Uh, thank you to those who have started the Align Method online program. You can get a yourself a seven-day free trial. Just go to alignpodcast.com slash method, or just uh, check out the bio at the Align Podcast Instagram page. All the links are there. I uh, hope you guys dig it. It essentially focuses on unwinding those degenerative patterns of staring into technology. So roll forward shoulders, forward head posture, disengaged glutes, knees collapsing, collapsing any level in the body, collapsing every level in the body. And that program focuses on lifestyle adjustments, uh, environment adjustments, and a couple of movement tactics to start sorting that physical situation yours out. All right, here we go. Back to the show with Dr. Will Cole Powell. Line podcast. Can you just tell me about your breakfast or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I fasted today, so oh, I didn't eat anything. You still haven't eaten anything? No, I, I broke my fast, but oh, good. I, I didn't have a breakfast. Sounds naughty when you say it like that. I broke my fast like we did a <laughs> did a bad thing. How often do you fast? Every, every day? Every day, pretty much. Time-restricted feeding. I don't know. if Some wouldn't call it fasting, but... Why do you do that? Uh, you know, I love autophagy. <laughs> good, <a> good shirt. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a passion of mine. Just a, yeah, cellular recycling fascinates me, and just want to. I feel better doing it too. My brain functions on um, heightened hmm. when I do time restricted feeding. So what the hell is autophagy? Why does that happen in the body? So autophagy. Everyone knows about autophagy, right? Everybody. <laughs> yeah. So this is very basic. Yeah, but ba- is... if you break that word down, autophagy, it's self-eating. It's basically the healthy cells gobbling and recycling up the, the dysfunctional cells. So it's our body's own anti-aging, cellular renewal pathways that we all have. We would all be dead without some autophagy going on. The problem is that most people in the West have these impaired autophagy pathways. So by fasting and ketosis and herbs and a lot of other different lifestyle medicine tools help to upregulate autophagy pathways. Hmm. Why do you give a shit about all this stuff? It's functional medicine, man. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's what I live and breathe. So... Yeah, there's no other answer other than that. Did you have any kind of, we were talking before about like childhood stuff and challenges making us stronger and all that stuff. Is there any kind of like, any kind of crap like that? I think probably a lot of this stems from like growing up in a home that my mom and my dad were into wellness before it was sexy and Instagram and wellness was the industry that it is today. It was just 
my parents were interested in it. My dad was like a bodybuilder in the eighties and nineties. I thought everyone's dad like had a turquoise speedo in the eighties with the la- <laughs> lathered up in baby oil. And his mom was filming the dad to get the proper shots and the proper poses. That's that awesome. was like normal for me. So we shopped at the local health food uh, store co-op and, uh, like I was aware of food and healthcare and junk food versus not junk food at a young age. At a time, you know, we're talking about rural Pennsylvania. Uh, you, I think you know a little thing about that. I know a little thing or two yeah. about rural Pennsylvania. So it was, it's not Abbott Kinney. Yeah. It's not uh, Soho. It's, it is, uh, but, so I, that was my upbringing. So that evolved, and then I had formal training in functional medicine, and now I talk to people around the world about this stuff and geek out with them yeah. and run labs and find out how to get them healthy again if they've lost it or optimize their health if they're looking for that. Yeah. Do you think ketosis, the the, the kind of trend of ketosis, is well, what will be the next ketosis? Are we going to move on to another trend or is ketosis here to stay? Yeah. Is it, is it, is that, would that be something that would be natural for it to be like a cyclical thing for a person? Does it depend upon the region that a person's ancestry comes from? Yeah. Like I, it's when, from a historical standpoint, like a human history, ancestral health standpoint, humans would have been in ketosis times of ketosis, depending on where they lived and scarcity of food and seasonal eating and, uh, that would have been a normal like uh, adaptation that our genetics and biochemistry would have adapted to, and our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years. Um, so, but then looking a little bit further than that, there's a lot of uh, traditional medicine looking at fasting and the benefits of fasting. Well, one of the benefits of fasting is it upregulates ketosis and the benefits of beta-hydroxybutyrate being an anti-inflammatory epigenetic modulator, being basically doing, thank you for the tea. Thanks, we got tea. Max on the tea game. We got reishi tea. Reishi, see, reishi, reishi. I, I love adaptogens. We got adaptogens. <laughs> <laughs> We're a walking cliche. <laughs> so, the, uh, so ketosis, I think, when you look at fasting being used throughout history and health, uh, traditional diets using healthy fats and lower-carb diets, just from a traditional diet standpoint, that would have elicited ketosis. And then looking just at modern history and the research around epilepsy and seizures that's was going on since the mid 20th century and ketosis and bodybuilders were talking about ketosis in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up so it was definitely it's having its zeitgeist right now in pop culture and on the blogosphere so that will fade like so much things will fade yeah but the Science will remain, the health benefits will remain, the application will remain even when the sun's not on it. What about people that, so we were talking before, I lived in, in Hawaii for a while. At one point I lived in the in the jungle, like the north side of Hawaii, mm-hmm. and I would do these, I had a dirt bike and I'd ride into this place called Hana. And yeah, I'd I've, just like. I've been there before. I'd, yeah, so I'd just gather fruit. Like it was like a part of shopping. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was like 19 and poor. So I was like, I'm going shopping. Yeah. And I would just gather, 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 come back. And I would just, just eat an immense amount of fruit. Yeah. And I, I seem, I mean, I don't remember exactly, but I think I felt pretty fine. Yeah. Like what, is there a, a, a place in the world where all of a sudden eating more of like a, a fruit based diet, for example, is, is more okay or, or does that not exist? Well, I think it's, 
it's, there's two different ways of looking or a few ways of looking at that. I think that eating real food is wonderful, right? It's going to provide your body a lot of phytonutrients. It's alive. It's in alignment with our biochemistry in many ways. Uh, and it is wonderfully beneficial, especially compared to the standard American diet. But when you're looking at optimization and longevity, just because something's better doesn't necessarily mean it's optimal. Hmm. And we, and I don't want to make any broad sweeping overgeneralized statements either. There are some people that have a tolerance for higher carbs and they're fine. Yeah. But that's not everybody. We have, would that be something that would, that would you would adapt to based off of the food that you're ingesting because you're ingesting like the bacteria that ride along with that food? Or is that something that's more just based off of your genetics? You think, I, I think it's a, confluence of epigenetics and genetics i think some people are just genetically more insulin resistant yeah. uh, and they are, are very carb um, intolerant when they have carbs they don't feel so well and then you're looking at the short term you someone could have felt really good on a high fruit diet or a high grain diet a whole grain diet in the short term but what does long long term sustainable health beyond the honeymoon period what does that look like right for from a just sustainability, what are the, where do the lab trends go? How does the person feel energetically, digestively? What what did their labs look like? All this stuff are things I would be wanting to look at. Yeah. Um, but there are essential amino acids, meaning our body's not going to be making getting them from foods. There are essential fatty acids, uh, meaning we need to get some of these things from our foods. So if someone's just just eating fruit or a high carb diet they're going to have to get something else to, yeah. to be well to, to be a healthy human i kind of I'm, i kind of misspoke I, mean, I said like fruit but i was just eating a lot of fruit but i was oh, certainly yeah. wasn't in ketosis so i was eating fruit oh, like okay, all, yeah. all the time i was eating other yeah. stuff i was eating fish and yeah. greens and you yeah. know all the different things and i don't think that you need to be anyone needs to be in ketosis forever and ever amen i think that you the way that i see ketosis is as a tool to create metabolic flexibility. Hmm. Most people are only sugar burners and that's the on, their only metabolic state. So by shifting the body into ketosis for a time at least, it creates this metabolic flexibility. And I think that's what we do with the cold bath. It's this yeah. slight hormesis uh, where we have that, that fortitude, that metabolic flexibility, but you have to gain that ancestral birthright in a way you yeah. have to get there uh, and then from there you can cycle in and out of it you can fast when you want to you're not bound by your next meal because you are off of the blood sugar roller coaster the hangry <laughs> the hangry monster has been uh has been slain in many ways is there's people i've heard i think it was with mice particularly that like uh ketosis was more challenging for the female mice than the than the, the male or more beneficial for the male yeah i think yeah, yeah. is there and, and i think there like there's like thyroid that. issues or perhaps like adrenal is, like, is there any pl people that's like maybe hang on to your carbs mm -hmm. well studies are done in mice um so i think there are limitations when it comes to that yeah. um but I, I do the way that I, when I consult patients and I tailor these applications, these lifestyle applications to them, it typically, we are increasing carbs around their period around and around their ovulation, mm. but they feel fantastic because they built that metabolic flexibility. They're not just sugar burners. They're sugar burners and fat burners when they need to and want to, and they have that freedom and that agency to decide for themselves. And, but they're not hangry anymore. They're not irritable anymore. They, they've, they're at the weight they're confident in. 
Uh, but they had to put that time of being a fat burner to get there. But I agree with you. I think that there, I would look at that my study, even though it has its limitations, I would say that seeing patients, I do see limitations for long-term ketosis for leaner women, people stuck at plateaus, they need to modulate leptin is really the mechanism that research is pointing to is that leptin, we don't want leptin high, very high. Many people are leptin resistant and insulin resistant. So we need to modulate that down, but it's the Goldilocks principle. You don't want things too high in your body. You don't want things too low. And I think that sometimes people that are on like long-term fasters, long-term super low carb and keto, they, their leptin hormone, the hormone that their fat cells, that the fat cells produce that's supposed to tell the hypothalamic cells of the brain burn fat. It's just too low. The brain's then not metabolically flexible on the other end of the spectrum. Mm. They're like always in ketosis. So you need to create that balance. It's the yin and the yang and people have to find their yin and yang. They have to find that, that homeostasis for themselves. And that looks different depending on who they are. Cause you can't lump all women together. There are people that, with many women that are more prone to insulin resistance and these inflammatory issues that do better with longer-term ketosis, lower-carb diets. Um, and then the next woman isn't going to see that. She, she needs to bring in her carbs. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, yes, there's some commonalities amongst gender, but beyond that, it's, there's so much bio-individuality amongst women and men and whoever you are. Yeah. Who is fasting for and who is it not? Well, I think it's fasting's for everybody it's just how you do it hmm. so i think if you look at the most simplest time restricted feeding fasting it's through the night it's doing an 8 to 6 p.m feeding window so you stop eating after 6 p.m and then you break the fast at breakfast in the morning so that's the just the that age, age old adage of don't eat too late it's not good for your metabolism and your body digesting food yeah, until you uh, go to spain <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, than, don't eat after 2.30 a.m. Yeah. The rules don't apply <laughs> in Espana. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I think that it's the problem what, that we're seeing in this wellness world is that they think more is better. And they're a failure if they don't do all the things they're hearing on the blogs and in the articles. The reality is you have to find that rhythm and that grace and that lightness for your body. Yeah. And, and more isn't always better. So just do something lighter if you're not getting the results that you're looking for. Yeah. I think that also something that I see oftentimes in like the various different nutritional dogmas is a lot of confirmation bias. You know, and you put your, you intentionally put yourself within the echo chambers to receive the messages that you want to hear. And then oh, it becomes this totally. team group dynamic, us versus them. And then yeah. it's like, really what I see underlying all of that is just a need for community. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. call myself vegan or paleo or fruitarian, yeah. whatever. Really, I just want to have like a buddy yeah. to have something to be pissed off about the other people about. Yeah, but that's what, <laughs> that, that's when community though community 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 devolves into tribalism, and it's just ugly. It's just it's it's the it's community used for wrong purposes for negative purposes, hmm. and it's unintended consequences. They don't go in saying we're going to be negative. They just think they're right. And they get so zealous that they're fighting over food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we're at a sad state of society when people are literally uh, doing troll wars on social media over diets. Yeah. But that's what this has devolved to. And it's sad. Yeah. What do you see in your practice working with patients? What are some of like the underlying 
drivers of nutritional imbalances? Is there like emotional things going on? Is there other conversations other than just they just don't eat right? Food is a big modulator of human physiology, obviously, but it's not the only thing. Um, And in my second book, In the Inflammation Spectrum, it's obviously about foods and finding out what works for your body, what brings inflammation up for you, what lowers inflammation, and finding that rhythm for your body and not making overly dogmatic statements about one way fits all because one size doesn't fit all when it comes to health but there are so many non-food inflamers that i see or non-food disruptors of homeostasis uh one of them or i should say some of them that i see is a lack of community or a uh misdirected sense of community where they're on technology so much and in social media so much that it's creating this FOMO like cancer uh, that they're they don't have any real connections to to other humans and that's feeding the stress and anxiety and this it's impacting their circadian rhythm and their sleep it's really feeding into a lot of imbalance in our society and I don't have an easy answer of solving that but we need to find a balance with our relationship with technology hmm. what are some of the other inflamers in our in our environment that aren't the obvious food ones toxins i would say and that's a very general term i don't even like to, to use it because it's so overly used in the wellness world but i would say things that are out of alignment with our biochemistry so the products that we're using uh, in our home cleaning products laundry detergents makeup for for people that wear makeup uh, just skincare products shampoos these things are largely unregulated. They are largely untested for human safety in the United States. And a lot of things that are legal in the United States aren't even permissible in other countries. So this is uh, something that we need to uh, be mindful of because our skin's our largest organ. Hmm. What we put on our skin, a lot of it's absorbed. Uh, and that's going into our bloodstream, and that can impact our body. There's endocrine re- disruptors, hormone imbalancers. There's things that drive up the sort of low-grade inflammatory storm that so many people find them you can look at the statistics of look at diabetes and autoimmune disease there are multiple there's a several uh, different schools of studies looking at the fact that toxins can really throw our immune system up in in upheaval Hmm. and drive insulin resistance and mitochondrial dysfunction Uh, so yeah it's it's food but it's all these other things too which can create fear and stress and anxiety. I don't, I'm not saying that to, for people to live in a bubble, but they need to just be informed and do the best they can with the access that they have. Yeah. So what is that, what does inflammation in the body end up actually translating to? Inflammation. Because I mean, obviously naturally inflammation is a part of your existence. Yeah. You know, it's or a product you're, of you're our immune bigger system. Problems, but, uh, yeah. It's inf- inflammation and balance is a good thing. It fights viruses and bacteria. It heals our body. It's, 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 we would all be dead without healthy balance inflammation levels. The problem is back to that Goldilocks principle. It's not too high, not too low, but just right. And when we need it. So the problem is just like on a macro, like uh, environmental level, there's global warming and climate change going on. There's climate change going on in people's bodies. It's, things are just completely out of balance. Mm. Um, and that is what's going on on a f- human physiological level, uh, uh, epidemic proportions. Um, so, because inflammation is the commonality between just about every health problem out there, even mental health issues like anxiety and depression and brain fog and fatigue. Yeah. People don't think of those infl- as inflammatory, but the science 
suggests that they have at least have an inflammatory component, if not being full-blown inflammatory issues for people, uh, neuroinflammation. And there's a whole field of research looking at this, the cytokine model of cognitive function, basically uh, how inflammation impacts our brain. Um, but these are, while these are sobering statistics, th these are things that are, that are largely improvable and overcomable. Not quick fixes, but they are things with lifestyle changes that can start to move the needle in a positive direction. Yeah, I've heard I've heard you talking about how we you know the, something we've talked about a bunch here is like the the leaky gut issues and people yeah. um, having issues with their guts. But then I heard you relating that to the blood brain barrier and having kind of a similar similar <laughs> dilemma happening yeah. within your within your noggin. Yeah, what the hell is that? They call it leaky brain syndrome. I didn't think of it. <laughs> I would have thought of a better term for it. I liked it. <laughs> but it automatically gets people that aren't in wellness and like, what the heck are these quacks talking about? Right. They're, kind of, they're talking about leaky brain syndrome now. But the research just refers to it as increased blood-brain barrier permeability. Uh, zonulin and including these proteins that govern gut lining permeability are also associated with increased blood-brain barrier permeability. Hmm. So this is associated with a lot of different mental health issues and uh, autoimmune neurological autoimmune issues like MS and the like. I mean, there's a lot of different neurological autoimmune problems. Wow. How much of that is controlled from like a top-down perspective being like from your, your thoughts and your, your internal state? You know, because I think it's interesting with like with studies and such, like placebo effect is effective like over 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it fluctuates depending upon what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so much of what we're doing, I, I wonder, I have these kind of, you know, spacey tinfoil hat moments of like, perhaps my perception of the story of the food that's going into my face, um, perhaps just my perception of the belief of what it does actually kind of catalyzes the action in, inside my biology. Is that like a, no, that's a crazy I, shit? No, I would say that that's definitely a component Without a doubt, because oh. I, I, I'll tell you why I think that is, because the placebo effect is real, and it's not a bad thing. It's the power of the human mind. It's the power of suggestion. It's the power of will. Um, I, w but there's, there's, it's not one thing. It's not just that. Obviously, yeah. we know there's physiological properties and nutrient density and the pathways are there in the, in the data as far as the benefits of real food and how they help our body. And we have enough uh, evidence there. But at the same time, there's so much bio variability going on here where I think the stress around eating and someone's attitude towards what they're doing plays a powerful role, role for some people. Yeah. Some people more than others. But I see the people that are eating all the good foods, doing all the doing all the things in wellness, but still feel lousy. But they hate the foods that they're eating; they're miserable. But yet, you, they go on vacation and go and eat something off of what they would normally eat. That may it's like filled with refined carbohydrates and sugar and everything that you would think would make them feel good. But it's their lowered stress level, and they had a good attitude towards it, and they feel fantastic, and their symptoms are abated. Yeah. Does that mean that the sugar and the pasta and all that stuff is great for them? No, it doesn't. But it just shows you the power of the human mind, and yeah. the human spirit, and human attitude. Yeah, it's like terrain theory. Like we're like we're. It's not just the germs; it's our interaction with the germs. Yeah. You know, so if you have a strong, robust terrain, then all of a sudden you can 
relate to your environment and it's like you can turn what could have conceivably been a really crummy situation into like smiles and laughs Mm -hmm. you know and i think that that's an interesting thing with like practicing getting in the cold plunge Mm -hmm. you know if you don't have the the correct i don't know psyche or terrain or nervous system for it it's like this horrendous experience yeah but if you have put some work into developing that, then you can get in there and it actually is a hermetic stressor that's really good for you and actually pushes you forward. Yeah. You know, yeah, totally. You know. you know, what about cow milk? The old A2, B2, casein yeah. stuff. Yeah. You've, goat. You've heard about this? Sheep. <laughs> <laughs> All the milk. Raw. Cat milk. Cat. Cat milk. Cambodian breast milk. Yeah. Guinea pig milk. That's supposed to be the highest quality. Yeah, that's an Air One, right? Guinea pig milk, I'm sure. They have camel. <laughs> I know they do. Huh? Uh, so, it, <laughs> it, it, so the, it, it, I think it for me, the, uh, the position that I have on milk is, again, the heart of the inflammation spectrum, the se- my second book, is really not, uh, finding out what works for your body and what doesn't. There are many people that tolerate milk. There's people that don't. If I hung my hat on one opinion... For everybody, I'd be proven wrong all day long. Yeah, right. So I want to find out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Yes, labs can po- be pointers. We can look at food reactions and gut permeability. And removing the food for a while can be a, another way of doing that too. Um, and reintroducing it and see how you feel and letting things kind of calm down. But with that said, the studies that are out there point to the fact of this misalignment between genetics and epigenetics. So the protein... Ca- casein the dairy protein the largely the largely the cows in the west are beta a1 casein this sort of subtype of the dairy protein casein which is from an ancestral health perspective a lot newer compared to the totality of human existence but yet this more ancient og casein beta a2 tends to be less reactive for people Hmm. because it's more in alignment with the human genome Look, I, I, but I still see people that have a problem with A2 milk too. So maybe it's just the overconsumption and there's so many variables to consider. But I would say it's the more tolerable of the two. And then if you can get it fermented, it's even better. So kefirs and uh, yogurts and things like that. Uh, cheeses tend to be more tolerable because the fermentation process helps to improve that digestibility as well. Yeah. Is that like a natural process of humans growing and kind of processing food and simplifying maybe not simplifying things isn't the right word but like where's food going for westerners Uh, well i think it's gonna we're coming up at an impasse in a very in the the near future where we are going to have to come up with solutions i look you look at the farming uh, industry and the nutrient depletion of soil and i think that we need to do something dramatically different to save our way of life and mm. just quality of health. So the future is up to what what direction we go on. And it's either going to be pain or proactive change. Mm. And we may not change until we are forced to change as a society. Yeah. But hopefully on a micro level, communal level, people start waking up and doing things more sustainably at least on their own what do you uh, think forced change would be because it seems like statistically it's like oh like as a human organism it seems like we're being forced to change but then at a micro level like in my bubble i'm like things seem pretty good yeah 
You know, and yeah. it's like it's like people talk about like the world's coming to end the chemtrails, and it's like oh, and I, I look around and I'm like I just got back from a surf, and I like go to the sun. And I'm like I don't I don't I don't know, yeah. but I'm I realize that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not this this I think I'm I'm aware that I'm continually in these bubbles. Yeah, you know, so I wonder what does what does change look like? I think <laughs> change. Uh, who knows? And you can look at the most dystopian, I mean, extreme example of it. Like I watch Handmaid's Tale, and I'm like, this is freakishly prophetic in many ways. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh-uh. It's like uh, Margaret Atwood in the '80s. She wrote this novel, and uh, now it's a television show. It's like a, a Hulu show. It's a couple seasons in, but the writers of the show, like season one was the novel, season two and three were just what if the novel continued and they still have Margaret Atwood being like a advisor on the show from a writing standpoint. Anyways, <laughs> they look at this dystopian perspective and you see so much of it as being a possibility. Yeah. It could not go that way and it could be variations of that, but the way that just the environment is suffering and we are then forced to, and then you have all these social unrest because of that and many other reasons um it could be that or it could be just something else but i think it's going to be a disruption i think our way of life in so many ways are unsustainable who knows what it'll look like i'm not i definitely am not god and i don't know if you knew that or not who invited this guy i thought it was, <laughs> Wait, this is thought not it was this the creator episode 256 <laughs> god <laughs> <laughs> People are going to just turn off the podcast. Oh, we got right the now. Holy Spirit moving through you. <laughs> That's right. What I does did. the Holy Spirit mean to you? Well, in Hebrew, <laughs> you want to me answer the question? Yeah. Uh, okay, this is good. <laughs> I like this. It went from Handmaid's Tale to <laughs> the Holy Spirit. I like I it. I want to know. Uh, well, the Holy Spirit, to me, in Hebrew, it's Ruach HaKodesh, which is, uh, Ruach is breath. So it's literally, I think, the breath of life in the universe. And it's the breath in you and me. It's the breath. It's the, the essence of the world that is connected to God. But a lot, it's almost like God on earth in, any way, in many ways. And another Hebrew concept is the Shekinah, Shekinah, is God on earth. So I think that's what the Holy Spirit is. Not to get too spiritual on you. But get I too think, spiritual, man. Yeah. There's no such thing. <laughs> the Lime Podcast, we're pro-spirituality. All right, cool. <laughs> So I, and then that other other uh, societies may call it something different. Yeah. They have different terminologies for it, but it's the breath of life. It's the spirit of God. It's it's divine wisdom. That's what the Holy Spirit is to me. Well, you mentioned you spent some time in Hawaii. Yeah, been out to Hana and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I I'm actually going in two weeks. Oh, cool. So out there, they call our people um, Howleys, white people, whiteies. And so that, that if you're out there, that's like, that's like the, you know, you, you're the minority as Hawaiians, you know, it's like that got that lesson as an 18 year old moving out yeah. there, which was, I think a really great gift. Yeah. Um, and Howley means without breath. Mm. And so, Interesting. and so when the, uh, the, whatever Captain Cook, all the boys came over and, and were essentially like, you know, taking over the Island, they, they came over and they wouldn't, Hawaiians would when they would say hello, they would go right up next to each other and they would breathe mm. each other's air in. So they put their nose like Eskimo kiss essentially. Wow. And then the white people that came, they wouldn't do that. You know, they just like check for weapons, you know, a handshake, which <laughs> I think is the original meaning of that. Um, and so they call these, these, these people 
Howley without breath. Very cool. And it's interesting yeah. that a, a large part of what they were driven by was, you know, financial gain. And this present financial model that we're in is kind of more about depleting resources for profit, mm-hmm. essentially slowly pulling away, pulling away, pulling away. Eventually, what I think we don't realize is, what, you know, from the get-go, we're pulling from ourselves. But eventually, mm-hmm. it gets dry enough that you realize you're eating your own body. Yeah. You know, there's like mythological ta- tales in various different cultures of monsters that are insatiably yeah. hungry and, and they yeah. eat everything and then they eventually start eating their body and they just become a head and you can't live with a head anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't That's know. Good. That's not really a question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. <laughs> good stuff. So you're going to say something? No, I mean, yeah. So I mean, back to the, we need to reconnect to that. Uh, as a society, we need to reconnect to something bigger than ourselves, to one another, instead of seeing ourselves as like this detached entity and yep. this sort of clinging. Uh, I'm in in it for myself and this fear-based tribalism. Where do you think that comes from? It comes. You know, that it's it's a deep part of the human spirit that needs to be healed, I think. And it's just a malignant level because of the power of the internet. I think it's connecting people in a powerful way for good and for bad. I mean, people are connecting to us right now. It's really positive, but it's like this double side entity, this double edged sword, if you will, of people also using this technology to connect it. But look, I remind myself when I get too dystopian that in the context with human history, a lot of people are living a really nice life. And even the people that are going through really bad things, you look at like some crazy parts of human history, things were crazy for a lot of the world. So we have it good, but we just need to learn from our past so we don't repeat history and repeat history in an even bigger way probably. Yeah. Where I get kind of jumbled up is like I was like I'm saying I'm like in this this bubble which you know, I absolutely am um, I wonder if the existence within that bumble that bubble is to the detriment of the people that weren't quite able to make it into the bubble you know so I think it's it's like and I think that that's what the the financial I'm, I'm all hopped up on this book sacred economy right now I saw and, that and yeah and yeah. so I'm just like I'm like oh my god What's like it about oh man well essentially I mean I'm not smart enough yet to really be able to describe it in a great way, but essentially like, like debt is, um, our, our financial system is founded on debt and wealthy, the wealthy people, Mm -hmm. they become wealthier just based off of their wealth. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to actually having any value, you know, where it's like, Oh, I created trees or I created these chickens or these apples, or I'm actually created a thing. Now it's like the value just goes towards having that symbol, which is just this story. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so all of a sudden yeah. we have this, you know, this leaf and I say, oh, this leaf is worth 600 chickens. Mm-hmm. Everybody agree? Yes. Okay. Boom. Yeah. The belief comes into existence, mm-hmm. you know, and so now the belief system, you know, the myth that we're presently living by is one based off of profiting off of natural resources. And, you know, essentially where can you create profit? It doesn't necessarily only need to be natural resources. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's health as well. It's like all these, yeah. you know, so our vision is, okay, I can make these dollar signs out of that to the detriment of our own health, you know, of ourselves, of earth and everything. Wow. That was a, a long description. There's better descriptions of that book, I'm sure. Yeah, I need to check it out. So what's the solution? 
I don't know, man. Yeah. I think so. He suggests the solution is getting into like um, more like gift-based economy, essentially like restructuring the whole financial system. Mm-hmm. Um, and like what you're saying, like going into the, the the direction that things are going presently, the the wealthier only get wealthier because they're getting wealthier based off of their wealth and the yeah. interest that they attach to that yeah. and property and all that. Yeah. Eventually, that pulls, pulls, pulls lower, lower, lower from the, from the other classes, and yeah. then eventually they need to revolt because they're like, we can't do this anymore. Right. You know, these totally. And I think that that's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying about, and I'm by no means an expert in economics or politics and all of that stuff, but just knowing like coming from my, just being a human being living in this world and looking at the madness of the world is I, I would say that you look at certain societies and way that they do things like different communal livings and uh, kibbutzes in Israel yeah. and ashrams and the East and you read acts in the new Testament and the way that the early church act treated and just gave when it was needed. Uh, I think that that can only happen changing the hearts and minds of people because governments come in and they come in with good intentions. And then there's unintended consequences with forced, you know, redistribution. I think it would be a lot more sustainable if we had a heart revolution. Yeah, absolutely. So that way it's, it's an outward manifestation of a heart change not some sort of authoritarian change that can come in with good intentions but history has proven it will self-destruct yeah and that's kind of my feeling i was reading before here um just some random study about people that attend church regularly i think it could be any community thing this was a church specifically will have lower um, inflammation in their system. Yeah. You know, so it's like that, 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 that community and, and also the belief, you know, your story of your belief of what happens when you leave this body, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, all that affects you at a biological, you know, physiological level. Yeah. You know, it's, totally. a, it, it's, it's, it's like getting control of your damn story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it connect, connect with, with, with whatever resonates with you. Cause not everybody's going to at this part of their journey they're not like they hear the word spirituality they can't get behind it they're it's triggering for them and they have to work on that or have to figure out where that's coming from but it may just be community and that's it for them but that's a spiritual experience for people and that's where they're connecting on that level so it's my job as a functional medicine practitioner is just to kind of find where their level is with those sort of things because you can get all the labs right and the food right and the natural medicine protocols right and any other sort of clinical protocol properly in place but you have to get your head and your heart right too because yep. all that stuff is a true core foundational aspect to sustainable wellness yeah um something I'll, I'll get back to like casein and stuff like that but the, there's one thing that i think is i find interesting with that like as you are if you say you are in like the one percent category or two percent or whatever like the higher echelon of things I have a feeling that there is like an underlying knowing that your profit, if it is just selfish based off of like you putting more, mm-hmm. you know, ducats in your, in your bank account and that's pull potentially pulling away from others. I feel like it would create almost like this, I don't know, underlying kind of static mm-hmm. inside yourself, you know, and it yeah. seems like, like giving back to community and connecting and actually giving stuff away mm-hmm. ends up having a way more impactful, you know, physiological effect, and, yeah. you know, effect on like your, your well-being and your happiness. Totally. And it, which and is very interesting. It goes, kind of goes against the, the, the model. Yeah. Well, 100% does. <laughs> but it's like being on the, like, 
talking to people for uh, my day job and consulting patients online and my like doing the podcast thing, I've learned, and I don't know what you think about this, but is that we're all addicted to something. We need to channel that addictive human quality into that kind of stuff. So you're almost addicted to that, connecting to people and giving things away and being a, being a servant to other people. Yeah. And that is addictive because it's it's uh you get reward you get this sort of energy connection your energy reciprocity yeah uh that's what i think uh people need to lean into because we're our culture is addicted to so much other stuff social media and drugs and food and all of the so above. what's the the low-hanging fruit that you see with with patients like as far as like this will improve your life in a big way right now and just not a lot of people are doing it uh, guinea pig milk. It's basically <laughs> good. I get it air one. I knew you were going to say that. I that was, I was setting you up. We have an affiliate code actually. Use a line code for guinea pig milk. Grass fed guinea pig. Grass fed yeah. guinea pig milk. Yeah. No, in all seriousness, I would say it is, if I had to say the low hanging fruit, like the Genesis it's not the food. The food is just the lack of awareness. The food is a lack of connection with their body. Because I find that people are in alignment with themselves. Mm-hmm. No, I did not mean to say that pun on words. Yeah, yeah. Alignment. But if they're in alignment with themselves, they tend to make more acts of vibrant wellness. Well, yep, it's just an outward expression of that. So they're not doing a diet. They're not doing a program. They're not doing a whatever. They're just doing an act that makes them feel great. And they would rather feel great and feed the nourish their body than they would want to feel lousy. So that's going back to like your head and your heart. What's your relationship with your body? What's your relationship with food? What's your relationship with other people? And I think if you get that stuff right like just watching humans behaving like as a functional medicine practitioner seeing the disordered relationships with those things i think that's the genesis of it all Mm. and then the practical stuff of access to food and education you know teaching them how to get this stuff cost effectively and sustainably and practically for the average working class human being is the other sort of like practical thing that you have to look at but there's so much bigger stuff beyond the practical that needs to be sorted out too yeah so how does one start tapping into that essentially like rewiring yeah it's it's a it could be back to i think on a cultural level is it going to be pain or proactive transformation is it going to be something that's so much trauma and bad things happened in your life that you had that awakening because of that or do you just have this light in you that somehow you heard a podcast like this or you somehow came across an article and it resonated with you and you didn't have to go through all of that stuff and you started putting in the work and putting in the effort and putting in the intention to align yourself with that with yourself i think those are the only two two ways and i see both of them on an hourly basis yeah what's inspiring to you these days what are you excited about what's inspiring to me um well 
a lot I have a lot of things are inspiring to me on a daily basis inspiring to me on a daily basis beyond like the suit I don't want to be like super cliched my my kids are major in, inspiration to me like seeing my son who's now like 13 years old I can't believe I have a 13 year old <laughs> crazy I had him when I was 15 years old <laughs> just kidding uh, so I and then my 10 year old daughter like they like seeing them grow up and like becoming like little people and their lights are shining in their own way like that's very inspiring for me on a professional level it's deepening my present moment awareness with patience and like really being a part of their health journey is cool it's really cool so i i get to see patients we primarily see patients online but i meet with my team in a normal like brick and mortar functional medicine clinic uh, and we meet every day looking at the schedule and just like looking at the clinical data and the labs and informing us but but after that we are praying for these people and wanting to align ourselves with what how can we meet these people where they're at because huh. they're going through some heavy stuff most of them are uh, and I don't take that responsibility lightly so to me that is what is inspiring me more than ever. I don't know why it is because I've been doing this for over 10 years, but it's like I've had this sort of reinvigorated love for it yeah. uh, that I appreciate it a lot. Is there anything that stands out that you've learned from your kids? Um, how to be patient. I think that parenting and marriage are both like meditations on everything that's wrong with you. And I have <laughs> learned over right. the... 10, you know, 10 years now, it's been my son's 13 and I've been married 14 years and my, my, I've been a parent for 13 years seeing like how impatient I am and like, I want things my way and I have this, and it may be on the outside, you couldn't see it, but I have this inner resistance towards it or this irritation and that's what I'm working on. So they're teaching me how to be more patient and more present because I'm running a clinic and I'm doing all the things. And it's, as I'm sure you know, it's hard to sometimes leave work at home. So my mind's still racing on all the things when I come home. So they're teaching me to be present. And I'm still learning. I'm a work in progress for sure. Because I still, like 13 years later, I'm still working at it. But I, I'm deepening my present moment awareness with them too. What do you think of monogamy versus like right now, polyamory and all the mm -hmm. different flavors of relationships is like all the craze in, mm -hmm. in the podcast sphere or yeah. blog sphere or whatever. Oh, it is? I don't know. Maybe I told not. you I didn't it's listen the, to the It's just the sphere that I live in. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the people that I hang out with, I guess. The, uh, do you? <laughs> do you <laughs> no, I believe that. I, I this, this is like, I get it. I, I get it. Uh, no, I, I think it's people have to find out where they're going to have joy from. And we actually had, I had this conversation with Lewis Howes on Goopfellas episodes will be out by the time people hear this, but there's research to show that you cannot have a really rooted, deep connection on that intimate sort of sexual level with tons of people. So maybe some people would be, and they're the exception. I think the average human, it's going to be a short-term thing. It can be okay. It's definitely not for me. Um, and it's, I don't know. I, I think if, if it's working for you, great. I, I'm a, a libertarian at heart in that way. I, I don't 
pass any judgment. I, for me, I just see how it could really be dysfunctional in many ways. How do you maintain excitement in the relationship after X amount of years? Well, that again, I'm a work in progress on that too. Um, and it's putting my selfish needs in the back burner and like if, and giving out of my own need, I think that's the biggest thing. If seeing her as the girl that I married and mm. not getting, you know, lazy and disrespectful to who she is as a human being. It's like when, when you're with someone every day for a, a year or 13 years or 25 or 50 years, it's so easy to take things for granted. And I don't know. I feel like in some ways being in my line of work, I'm probably a little bit more acutely aware of how thing, there's a fine line between having and losing with people's health issues and people losing people because of health issues that it keeps me a little bit more conscious of that. But again, I still fail at it on a daily basis, but I try to be more conscious of the fact that I appreciate her and just have a deep appreciation. When you start appreciating who they are on a soul level, you start to keep, you have that, you reignite that excitement. Yeah. Have you seen yourself change into like a different person and her change into a different person? Or are you both the same people after 14 years? Um, that's a good question. I think in some ways we've definitely changed. I hear you some, I got married young. I got married when I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. And she's like a year older than me. Um, and you hear of these stories of people getting married at that age and they grow apart because your brain's still forming and you yeah. just don't really know who you are at Was 20 years 25, old. 25, your cerebral, yeah. your prefrontal cortex yeah. is fully grown. Is that what yeah, it is? Yeah, something oh, like that. I think that men may be 45 yeah, right. <laughs> and still growing. <laughs> but I, I think that to me, we grew together in many ways. And, I, and so much of that is her being so supportive and amazing that I could definitely see because I was in school and there was like a different trajectory. And then she was so supportive and I could see that if someone didn't have a supportive partner or spouse, that that would be difficult because a lot does change from when you're 20 to when you're 35. Yeah. Now, how does a coupling, a couple, I don't know if I said coupling, that might work too, but how, <laughs> how do they actively grow together or do you just kind of throw shit at the wall and if you grow together, you do. And if you don't, you don't. I think, I'm not a relationship expert, but I would say... You'll be after this. <laughs> I, I would say the only experience I have is saying I've been married and been working at this for the past 14, 15 years in a relationship. Uh, I would say most people act like they know what they're talking about or just trying to figure it out. And they're just doing the best they can of just trying to love somebody and put them first. But I am fascinated. Like right now I'm reading, I'm reading a new book. Uh, it's not a new book, but it's a new book for me. It's called The New Rules of Marriage by Terry Reel. He's a marriage and family therapist. We had him on Goodfellas. But he inspired me. I'm just like guys raising the bar. Because women for so long have been like leading a more conscious life, I think, generally speaking. Uh, and I think it's now time for guys to rise up to the occasion and mm. be better human beings. Uh, so a lot of his teachings and he's out of, uh, Massachusetts and he's like couples fly into Terry reel to like when they're about to get a divorce and he like 
has like their come to Jesus moment on what they should do. Uh, and, uh, so I don't want to ever get to that place in my life. I want to just keep things healthy and vibrant and get the oxygen and the nutrient and the love flowing all the time. So you don't have become hypoxic, whether you need to fly to Massachusetts to talk to, to yeah. Terry real. I don't want that. So I, I don't know. I'm just figuring out. I'm by no means an expert. Do you think that your relationship with your wife has helped you learn how to love yourself? Or is that like outlandish? No, I think that's good. I, I think that it is, there is uh two sides of that. I think it, there's a, you know, a waking above and below, if you will. I think that you, through loving somebody else, you can learn to love yourself more. But I think more oftentimes than not, I think you need to learn to love yourself first to be a better lover. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's probably two sides of a coin because sometimes you don't love yourself, but you love you do care for somebody else so it's a bit of both i think yeah i wonder about that sometimes with like you know you need to love yourself you need to kind of have all your ducks in a row before bringing somebody else into it but then sometimes like i like the idea of people being kind of like codes i've talked about this on here before but it's like you have a certain Mm -hmm. code frequency order i have a certain code order yeah and then sometimes we get together and we like unlock this new this new code that we never could have done by ourselves yeah or maybe that's just some bullshit story well, I think parenthood does is a different set of or maybe just something to think about that there are many people that don't love themselves but have children and they love something outside of themselves like they've never loved before yeah so I think that there's something truth to that that there's like there is that code in another being I don't know if that always happens with a spouse or a partner but I'm sure it could but I think kids are like this universal, like people awaken that love. And then sometimes that doesn't happen, but more often times than not, it does. Yeah. You know? Cool, man. Yeah. We got to wrap up. You got to go and have dinner with your loved ones. <laughs> I have to go practice what I just spoke about. <laughs> you got to go practice this shit. <laughs> um, where do people go from here? So you do the, the Goop Fellas podcast and you got your, your books out now. Yeah, and well, I have Ketotarian that's out now. Yeah. Uh, and then depending on when people listen to this, the inflammation spectrum is What's coming out October 15th. Okay, cool. I'll try to get out before. Yeah. So yeah. the yeah, October 15th, it's Brom Prieto now, Inflammation Spectrum. And yeah, uh, co-scoop fellas, you can check it out on iTunes. I co-host that with uh, Seamus Mullen. It's like Goop's first spinoff for guys to talk about transformation. And it's not just guys, it's women too, but it's coming from a guy's perspective. Um, yeah, it's everything's at drwillcole.com. Sweet. People want to check it out. Love man. Thanks for having me. Thank you, brother. Pennsylvania brother. Woo! Own it. Pennsylvania for life. (laughs) All right. Over now. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I want to present y'all with a fun opportunity of starting a program that I created called the Align Method Online Program that focuses on unwinding the unsightly patterns of staring into technology, essentially. So forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders, hyperkyphotic spine, disengaged glutes, knees collapsing in. If there's collapse in any level in the body, it will trickle up and down through the rest of the system that program focuses on unwinding those things giving you self-care practices movement practices and lifestyle adjustments very subtle ones that will give you all more flexibility more strength more confidence more energy all the good things Um, and you can start the first week absolutely free and just go to alignpodcast.com slash align method a-l-i-g-n method Along with that guy, you will receive the Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band with a door anchor. And that also comes with its own online program that is free with that thing. Go to alignband.com and start that program for free. Um, 
I think that's it. I so greatly appreciate you guys listening to this conversation. So greatly appreciate reviews on iTunes, sharing uh, on the Instagrams or the Facebooks or wherever you do your shares. Uh, this program goes on, lives on because of y'all. So um, it doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reviews. Thanks for joining your life. Enjoy. <laughs>